Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. Are you ready for the Word? We're going to dangerous places today. Hallelujah. That's the title. John chapter 11. I'll start at verse 7. But, um, let me just tell you where we are. Jesus, at this point in time, is down at the Jordan River. He's on the east side of it. He, has, uh, he had been in Jerusalem uh, teaching during Hanukkah. And he had come into a confrontation with the religious leaders, particularly the temple authorities who had surrounded him in a circle and really had every intention of stoning him. Uh, they, uh, they weren't going to do it there in the temple, but they, they tried to grab him. They would have arrested him, put him through a religious trial, found him guilty, taken him out. I think they take him out to Golgotha's where they did it. That was a stoning place, I think. And they would have stoned him uh, as a blasphemer. Uh, he escaped their grip and then left and went about 20 miles to the east, across the Jordan River. You go down the, the Judean wilderness, it's a drop from, as I said, from about 2,700 feet to 3,000 feet, dropped all the way down to 1,200 feet below sea level. So he goes down to the Jordan, and he's, he's there for safety. He goes back to where John the Baptist used to baptize, it's called Bethabara, the place of the ferry, of, the tra- uh, of shipping across. And that's where he was baptized. That's where he called five and I think six of his disciples was at that place. So he goes back there. Crowds still come to him. He's in a region that's called in the Bible Perea, the other side of the Jordan River, uh, where all the still great Jewish population there. He's in Perea and and the people love him. Uh, So great crowds are coming, lots of ministry there, but it's a safe place. In the midst of all of this, and I would guess it'd be February, maybe late February, um, and a messenger came down from Bethany. Bethany's a little village about two miles to the east of Jerusalem. The the road passes right through it. So every time you come from from the Jordan River up to to Jerusalem, you'll go right through Bethany. And a messenger comes down and says, Lord, he whom you love is sick, meaning Lazarus. And uh, Lazarus is, is, is way sick, as we'll see. And, and Jesus' response is, um, this sickness is not unto death. Now, that's he, a Hebrew idiom, and it means he won't die. He won't die. And then he says, but it's for the glory of God, and that, the, that, that, that God might, might glorify the Son of God. Through it. All right, so the messenger, I would think, would take that message, then back up. It's a day's journey down, it's a day's journey back. And so the messenger would have come back to Mary and Martha, who sent him. And I assume it's a hymn. You don't send women on those kinds of things if you don't have to. And so they would have, uh, it would have been a fellow come back, and he would have said, Good news! Good news! He's not going to die! He is not going to die. But he says it's, the, it's for the glory of the God and to glorify the, the Son of God. Now, the thing is, he died the day before. 
probably just hours after the messenger left. It's a day down, it's a day back, and Jesus delayed two days before he came, and when he arrived, he'd been dead four days. You can do the math. So, can you imagine Mary and Martha? Can you imagine the, what they're going through? The, the messenger comes in and goes, Good news! He won't die! And Martha turns to Mary. He died yesterday. They've embalmed him, and we just put him in the tomb. What a shock to those women. I mean, this is the kind of thing that tests your faith. Did Jesus miss it? What on earth is going on? So they're shaken. And then we pick up here. Verse 7. Back at the Jordan River. Then after this, he said to the disciples, after the two days, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Would you say in him? Yeah. Notice it says that, in him. And then he, then he said, after that, he, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But I go so that I may awaken him out of sleep. The disciples then said to him, Lord, if, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he was speaking of literal sleep. And then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. And therefore, Thomas. Now, don't we love the quotes from Thomas? You know, you could have a whole list on your wall. Uh, I won't believe till I put my finger in the wounds, you know, that kind of thing. And here's another great quote from Thomas. Thomas, who was called Didymus. Didymus means twin. And he's usually, in, well, he's always in the lists side by side with Matthew. So they think he's Matthew's twin. Thomas, who was called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go so that we may die with him dangerous places. Anyone who serves God effectively has to have two important qualities, courage and caution. Would you say those two words, courage and caution? They have to be willing to die for Jesus, but determined not to do anything careless that might end their ministry early. Without courage, a person won't follow where God leads. Without caution, a person will create so much trouble for themselves that they have to stop. Caution is the careful analysis of a situation before taking the first step. And for a disciple of Jesus Christ, that means earnestly seeking God's will and listening to the guidance of His Holy Spirit. Did you follow what I'm saying? It means not acting until He says it's time. And not holding back when He tells us to move forward. Everything depends upon hearing God clearly and refusing to move until we have. This combination of courage and caution is what Jesus was modeling for us when he decided to return to a dangerous place. That trip to Bethany could easily have been his last. 
if we look only at the outward circumstances, he was being reckless. And that's exactly what his disciples were trying to tell him. He had barely escaped with his life only months earlier. Why, they asked, would he go back to a place where his enemies were waiting to arrest him? He would not likely escape being stoned this time. Yet he went back to Bethany, and his disciples gloomily decided, deciding to die with him, followed along. Why did he deliberately go into danger? We need to understand because he still leads us into dangerous places. Would you say amen to that? Yeah, praise God. When he felt it was time to leave, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go into Judea again. Bethany, a small town located in the region called Judea, was only two miles east of Jerusalem, so the disciples resisted. They asked him why he would choose to go back to a place where he had nearly been executed only two or three months earlier. Surely the religious leaders would hear that he was nearby and have him arrested. Jesus replied, are there not 12 hours in a day? If someone walks in the day, he does not stumble. The word means to strike your foot against something and fall. Because he sees the light of the world. And when it says, pardon me, the light of this world, not the world. So I take that to be the sun. But if someone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. This illustration simply means that there is no danger of walking on a path as long as a person can see where they're stepping. A, a path that might be dangerous at night becomes safe when lighted by the sun. At first glance, this statement might not seem to apply to the situation they were facing, but the last few words reveal its spiritual meaning. The night Jesus spoke about was spiritual darkness. A person stumbles because the light is not in them. There is an absence of revelation from God. That person is walking without God's light to illumine their path. But Jesus was not walking in darkness. He was constantly being guided by God's Holy Spirit. So he was telling his disciples that wherever the Spirit led them, there could be no stumbling. As dangerous as returning to Bethany might seem, the Father was leading Jesus and had shown him the path ahead. Yes, a night was coming in which he would be arrested, but that moment had not yet arrived. For now they were safe. They were in the daylight of God's plan. After assuring his disciples that the Spirit was leading them to Bethany, Jesus said, Lazarus, our friend, has fallen asleep. Literally entered a state of rest is the word. But I am going so that I may awaken him. Still not convinced that it was safe to be in a town so close to Jerusalem, the disciples replied, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will be healed. He's saved is the word they use. We, they were telling Jesus that if Lazarus was sleeping or resting, he must be recovering from his illness, which meant Jesus uh, was no longer needed to go there to pray for him. They had good reason to think this because they had watched Jesus heal a royal official's son in the city of Cana without being near the boy. He had merely told the boy's father, your, go, your son lives. And the child was at the point of death, miles away, began to recover. Maybe that type of miracle had happened again. Do you remember that miracle? Yeah, I think they're, they're hoping that's what's going on here. And by the way, the, the distance from, from Cana to Capernaum, where the, that uh, royal official's son was, was at the point of death, is about the same distance, about, about 20 miles. And uh, the father, who was... Herod Antipas' treasurer. I mean, you've got a very prominent man. He comes up to Jesus uh, and he says, 
Please come with me. My son is at the point of death. He's walked all the way up to get Jesus, to take him back and have him pray for his son. And Jesus' response, do you remember this, is, you people, you all want miracles. You won't believe without miracles. And then he said, then, then he, 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 he won't go. He says, go, your son lives. And that father had to just turn and go, okay, and head back. And on the way up, remember a, a, a servant was coming up the trail? And he says, your son lives. And, and, and the father said, and what was the qu- father's question? What when? What time? It says, yesterday, one o'clock in the afternoon. The father goes, yes! <laughs> it was exactly when Jesus said, go, your son lives. So the disciples are going, let's do that again. That was, that's so cool. Do that again. They're scared. Come on. It's dangerous. To prevent his readers from being confused by Jesus' statement that Lazarus was asleep, John explains that Jesus used the word sleep to refer to physical death. This was not the only time Jesus applied that word to someone who had already died. He told a crowd outside the home of a synagogue official, the girl has not died but is asleep. Remember? Apparently, he viewed the continued existence of the human spirit after death to be so real that a person's spirit could cross the line between death and life in two directions. Someone might die and come back to life, just as someone might go to sleep and then awaken. Jesus was able to speak of Lazarus, though dead as being asleep, because as surely as if he had fallen asleep, he was going to wake up again. But to erase any confusion... He, he said plainly, Lazarus died. Past tense. That's, that's what he said. Lazarus died. He has no way of knowing, does he, in the natural? The, the, the servant didn't know. He has no way of knowing, but he knows exactly what happened and what he's going to do. Jesus tried to explain to his disciples why he was certain that they would be safe. He said, why don't you read it with me? Are there not 12 hours in a day? If someone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if someone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. They didn't understand what he meant because they didn't know how to do what he was doing. He was following the guidance of the Holy Spirit. God had already shown him what was going to happen. He knew God was going to protect them. He knew he could walk into a funeral filled with many of the nation's religious leaders, only two miles from Jerusalem, and walk out again. How did he know that? He knew it because he was cautious and had sought carefully for God's guidance. Do you see what I mean by caution? Caution, seeking the will of the Lord, not bursting into something, but listening before we go and having a subtle sense, I know what God is doing. He knew it because the Holy Spirit had showed him what he would do, and what God would do. Yet even with that information, it required courage. Bethany was a dangerous place. If God didn't do a miracle, they would be trapped. Winning souls is a rescue mission. We have to enter the strong man's house and plunder his treasure. Who's the strong man? Satan and his demonic hosts. But the point Jesus keeps telling us, people are held in the grips of powers. 
addictions and fears, things the devil has put on them, d- demonic things, confusion and deceit. People aren't just sitting around waiting to sort of get saved. They're not just sort of, you know, around and go, hey, you know, and they'll come. They're in bondage. They're held. And when, you, when you're going to bring someone or minister to someone, you have to go into the strong man's house and take his treasure. You see that? And he says you have to first bind the strong man. There's a, there's a wrestling match in, in, in all of all true ministry. His treasure are people, the strong man's. And he guards them fiercely. So it's seldom easy. There is usually some type of danger involved. In order to rescue someone, we will have to leave the comfortable for the uncomfortable, the safe for the unsafe, approval for disapproval, abundance for enough, and rest for weariness. When people teach us about how to share Jesus Christ with others, this element of danger is often overlooked or minimized. To hear some tell it, our greatest obstacle is shyness. And once more we and once we put move past that, we're on our way. And shyness is a real obstacle, is it not? But there are often greater obstacles than that. For some strange reason, most effective ministry involves an element of danger. A challenge always seems to rise up from some source to frighten us. We're forced to risk something in order to gain something. In the passage we're reading today, Jesus was risking physical harm. To rescue Lazarus from death and make it possible for many attending the funeral to believe in him, he would have to put his life in jeopardy. And if you and I are going to be used by God to rescue people, we must face the fact that we too will encounter some sort of danger. Every form of mission, sooner or later, involves going someplace that's not safe. Because that's where the person who needs to be rescued lives. And we will face relational danger as well. God may ask us to share Jesus with a dying family member, or a valued friend, or someone at work, or at school, leaving us very vulnerable to rejection or ridicule. We may risk losing cherished relationships, respect, jobs, or promotions. Mission trips. I'll never forget my first, my, my first really out of the country. I mean, I'd done various things, but I'd never done that. And I was, I was to South Africa, and we were going to go into the Transkei. Uh, which is a, a place where the, uh, which was a, had been a reserved by the South African government for, uh, as a, as a for the Kosovo people, and then uh, this was a year and a half after apartheid ended, and we were going for two weeks. We were going to build a church uh, that had fallen down out in a completely remote area. There's no roads. There's no running water. There was no power. Uh, it's a village called Indibela, and we were going to go out there. I think Mary, Mary had, to, had to stand at the, at the entrance to the Skyway. Kind of, you go. Because I'm thinking, you know, I just think maybe um, I was scared. Now, why? I don't quite know. It's in your flesh. Anyone been, feel this? You know, it's like when... when, when, when when, when you go some of these places, particularly the first time, 
Now, what happened? Well, we, we got there, and the power of God was there. I mean, we prayed about this. and The power of God was there. We, we, would, we were building a church building. That, that, went, that went wonderfully. But we also held uh, every evening, we had a great, huge yellow and white tent and a generator and, and lights. And we would have as many as 600 people. And, and, and I'm telling you, the, 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 the preaching and the worship, the worship's what I'll never forget as long as I live. Uh, you know, everybody sits by, uh, by their, their grouping. So you, you've got the, the, the little batuan, the babies and children on the, on the ground, and then, you, and then you've got the, the, the mamas and keeping an eye on everybody. And then you've got, you've got the, um, the, uh, the, the, the older ones, and then the, the, the older men are over here. But the singing, it just goes into your bones. And uh, when I came home, I mean, you didn't want to leave. I'd have been happy to live there. I mean, it just, you just fall in love with it. But the fear on the front end. And I'm saying this to us because all you and I, all, I, nobody gets out of this. We are all called in a mission. One way or another. I mean, you don't have to go to South, you don't have to go to a remote place, but you may get called out to a, to a difficult part of town. You may get called into a, a, a dangerous environment, or, or called to witness to somebody and share your faith with, with a family member who's dying. I, I don't think a weekend hardly goes by, but somebody will come up to me and say, "I I've just I had it last week." Uh, a woman said, I, "I I I I just led my dying father to the Lord." She said, I was very afraid of him. He was a very angry man and a very violent man. And she said, I, I took his hand and I, and I said to him, Daddy, if, if you want to receive Jesus, you give him the gospel, you know, squeeze my hand. He's in virtually in a, in a coma. And she said, or smile at me. He, he, he smiles at her, squeezes her hand, and confirms that he has received Christ with her and proceeded to die. That takes guts. That is dangerous work. When you go into these family situations, because there's other family members around, and often they don't approve of this. They don't like this. What are you doing here? Get your religion out of here. Let them die in peace, for heaven's sakes. Huh? I'm just saying, if you and I are going to take the strong man's treasure, it will take courage. But not reckless courage. Not just sort of barging in, because that, that just blows things to pieces cautionary. Somebody's prayed. We've thought, we've listened to the Lord. We're on assignment. We know what we're to do. Into that situation we go. He's prepared a way and what you'll find is amazing grace in it. His power, his presence. Thing, that's where the miracles happen is when it's done this way. Um, how do, we, we send mission teams now and have for years to places where I could not have told you where they are on the map. Uh, what, two weeks? Next week, you'll be praying out a team to Myanmar. That's, that's old Burma. And um, this is our third team, is it? Or at least. No, it's more. Fifth team. <laughs> Aren't you comforted that your pastor has that? It's my idea. <laughs> and so we're putting people. This, is not, this isn't safe. They, they go into remote places. I mean, stay there where it's surrounded by all kinds of different religions uh, that's going on. Last fall, we were in Niger, 97% Muslim. 
I have to tell you, a couple year, week, years ago, right after our mission was there, they had that Charlie Hebdo event, and, and remember with the deal in Paris? Well, it caused riots all over the world. And it caused riots there, even around the very church where we were. But the, we, we go into that place, and, and on the first time, 467, if I recall, people one at a time received Jesus Christ. Uh, the next time, two uh, after, after that, they went again. Just this, and I think it was 359 people. Look, it's a dangerous place, but that's where people who are looking for Jesus live. You following me? If you and I have no courage, if we are so self-protective that we will not risk anything, even at the leading of the Lord. People like that can die without him. It's not okay. True disciples, you and I, have to come to grips with this danger factor. Jesus says to us, if you come after me, pick up your cross, come and die. He who would seek to save his life in this world will lose it. But he who loses his life for my sake will find it. He's really blunt, isn't he? This isn't religion so you and I can go to heaven. It's discipleship with the living God. It's, 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 it is, we are entering into the great work of God, of saving souls, of building his great family for eternity. This is what we're part of. It's, what we, it's just what you and I just signed up for. We all have our different assignments. But if you find it's dangerous, if you find there's scary elements, and you will, that's part of, this, of the deal. That's the way it works. Now that you're all terrified, <laughs> we send teams to Mexico. We've got somebody in Mexico. Uh, she's down there. All kinds of things, stories she can tell. Uh, we've got people. We send people to Ethiopia. We just on and on and on. Hallelujah. Some people may assume that in order to be true, a true disciple of Jesus Christ, a person must throw caution to the wind and share their faith regardless of the danger involved. They assume that if someone really loves Jesus, that person won't care what happens. And people who function that way can be very courageous, and I'm sure the Lord recognizes that their courage comes from the fact that they are devoted to him. But courage without caution is likely to lead to a lot of conflict, and most significant, the most significant argument against this approach is that Jesus didn't minister that way. He was amazingly courageous, but only when the Father specifically sent him into a dangerous situation. Did you follow? Think about it. For the past two or three months, Jesus had been staying out of trouble. He'd, he'd left Jerusalem for the safety of the eastern bank of the Jordan River. He didn't stay in Jerusalem and continue to provoke the religious leaders until they finally caught him. He returned to Bethany only because the Father had instructed him to do so. When he was sending his disciples out, he said this. He says, be wise as serpents and harmless as, as doves. Say that. Be wise as serpents. The wise as serpents part is don't make trouble. Don't go doing dumb stuff and get yourself in trouble. It'll find you in its own time. But don't you go out and make trouble. And then harmless as doves means stay pure. Stay clean. Don't give anybody a, 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 a softball to hit. Don't be immoral. Don't be a liar. Don't be a thief. Don't, be, don't do those things 
You stay pure and you stay smart. I'm sending you out. Follow, listen, but don't just go making trouble. Isn't that love? Aren't you glad to hear that? Yeah, he, yeah I, I'm grateful. He's not, he's not just asking for us to sort of throw caution to the wind and crash into the world. He doesn't say that. He says, listen to me. Follow me. I'll tell you where to go. I'll, it'll get dangerous. Don't worry. But you'll notice, you, you, you'll notice. We've, we've been sending mission teams, and, and may I add local ones too. I'm just not naming them. People going into all kinds of situations for years. And I'm not boasting. I'm saying it works. If you pray, if you listen, and if you do what you're told, you can go into some of the most amazing parts, situations on the planet and come out with souls and come back safe. This, I heard this said, the safest place in the world is in the middle of the will of God. Say that with me. The safest place in the world is the middle of the will. A man who said that was Brother Andrew. Uh, he used to smuggle Bibles behind the Iron Curtain. He'd load a Volkswagen full of Bibles and head for the border. That's nuts. That is, it was so illegal. Just crazy. Oh, God, blind the guards. Don't let them see. You know, and, he's, and he went in and out for years, strengthening the church behind the Iron Curtain, uh, encouraging them, speaking, uh, getting out just before they caught him. I mean, but, but he, he, they never did catch him. I mean, or keep him. Hold on to him too long. You know, he, it, it, you can do this. You can do this. Guided by God. How Jesus knew he was to go to Bethany isn't said in this passage. But on many other occasions, he explained how he functioned in ministry. He said he would always do what he saw the Father do. And speak only what he heard the Father say. In other words, he continually let the Father guide him. Listen. Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. Isn't that an interesting concept? Jesus did what the Father was doing. We don't do it for him. We follow what he's already doing. He does. He, we see him doing this. We then step in. John 12. Why don't you read that out loud with me? For I did not speak on my own initiative. But the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. Jesus didn't decide what he was going to do for God. He didn't form a plan and charge ahead. He listened carefully and then did and said only what God prophetically showed him. This is New Testament Christianity. It is, it, it, there's, a, there's a fluidity to it. There's a spontaneity to it. It's a spirit-led thing. That's what makes it hard. Uh, you have to step into that life of the spirit. That doesn't mean a person has to ask God what to eat for breakfast or where for the day, though some of us would be wise to do so. <laughs> and, uh, I being one of those, and, and I must say it works, but never, that's, don't. Being spirit-led doesn't turn us into robots that can't think for themselves. This isn't some kind of strange, neurotic behavior. But it does mean we stay tender to his voice and stop before 
we make important decisions or engage in some form of ministry. Asking for his help and depending on his guidance becomes a normal part of life. It is a skill that matures as we put it to use. This is what Jesus meant by walking on a lighted path. That's why he was so sure he and his disciples would be safe. Someone once said the safest place in the world is in the middle of the will of God. Who could have imagined that Jesus could walk into a funeral filled with hostile religious leaders and leave unharmed? Who could have imagined that he would shout at an open tomb and a man who had been dead for four days would walk out? Without that miracle, Jesus almost certainly would have been arrested. Without that miracle, none of the watching crowd would have believed. Without that miracle, Mary and Martha would have been left confused, if not disillusioned. But Jesus saw that miracle before he left for Bethany. Remember, this is not unto death. He's not going to, he, he is, in his mind, he's not going to die. That's why the trip wasn't foolhardy. But without that guidance, it would have been. That's the lesson we must learn today. Jesus is showing us how important it is to learn how to hear from God. He's teaching us by his example that caution must carefully direct where we show courage. If it had been up to the disciples, Lazarus would have remained in the tomb. And many would never have believed in Jesus. They were afraid and would not have gone to Bethany. But what really mattered was why they were afraid. They didn't know how to communicate with God. That's why they lacked the assurance that this assignment was ordained by God. That's why they had no idea what to expect once they got there. That's why they were convinced that God was about to they pardon me, they weren't convinced that God was about to plunder Satan's treasure. But thankfully, after the day of Pentecost, they would. The baptism with the Holy Spirit made it possible for them to communicate with God the way Jesus did. That's important insight. They don't have the tools yet, in a sense, to do what he's doing. Is Jesus baptized in the Holy Spirit? When did that happen? At, his Jordan, at the Jordan River. Remember what happened? It's got heaven open, voice is my beloved son, and the Spirit descended on him and remained on him. Yeah. You're watching in Jesus a man, in a sense, showing us. Remember this. He did not function in his own powers as the second person of the Trinity. That was the temptation in the wilderness. Come on, you know who you are. Zap that stone. He would not do that. He functioned as a man in the power of the Spirit, led by the Father. Boy, does he show us what can be done? He, I mean, it's, it's very stretching when you accept that. You go, oh my goodness. You mean we can, and didn't he say, greater works than I've done? Well, you do. Because I go to the Father. That's, that's what he thought. Look, what is, let me just take a minute at this. This baptism in the Holy Spirit, I want to say a couple of things. When you receive Jesus Christ, when you repent and believe on Jesus Christ, God gives you Jesus. When you have him, you have everything. It's been given to you. However, let's suppose I gave you a, a present. I gave you this nice present wrapped up with a bow, and I put it in your hands. I say, here, this is for you. And you take it and you say, thank you very much. And you just sit there and hold that present. You don't pull a ribbon. You don't open the thing. You just hold the present. You say, I have the present. Yes, you do. 
Yes, you do. Now open it. Now open it. There is a human side to this equation. I believe, and I think it's a mistake to say that it's somehow just a, uh, it's, it's something else. I think when you have Christ, you have everything. But there is a receiving of what he has given us. You pull the bow, you open the package, and you say, Come, Holy Spirit, you've been given to me now without measure. I welcome you to dwell within me in your power. I surrender to you and long for you to be my power and my lead. There is a, he does not, God is very kind. He does not force his way into people. He doesn't somehow grab you. He's raising children. Do you understand? He wants you to know what he's doing and understand why he's doing it. He wants you to love him. He wants you to, we want you to get it. He wants you to be like him. He's training us into his image. So, so this baptism of the Holy Spirit, people just, whenever I, you, you say that, they go, ah, speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues is a gift, and I think an extremely important one, because we need to give him our tongue. You haven't given everything until you've given your tongue. Believe me, you know that. So do I. So there's a yielding of myself, but it isn't the baptism. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's this, it's this coming of the, and receiving of the power of God to come and dwell within us. Why is that important? Two very important things come to my mind. First of all, it changes the way you think about God. When you have had a genuine personal encounter with the power of God, you now think of him as a person who's there with you, as opposed to a concept. It's one thing to believe in God. It's another thing to have met him and know him. Did you follow the distinction I made? It's another thing to meet him and know him. This is what people long for. You know, I can tell you God loves you. I can convince you. I can show you all the scriptures that say he does. But if you've had no encounter with him, if he hasn't touched you, 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 you hope it's true. It's something you try to keep believing. Remember when Jesus touched the leper? Do you, do you have any idea what that touch meant to that leper? You didn't touch lepers. You didn't get near them. They, they covered their beard and they said, a leper, unclean, unclean. And you would stay. They weren't welcome in town. They could, they could just, you know, etc. Et and then he takes and he reaches out and touches him. Could have spoken, but he touched him. When, you, when Jesus touches us, when the power of God comes and touches us, it says a world. All of a sudden, I'm clean. He's willing to touch me. He's come. I know he's here. I know he loves me. As, as, a, as a boy at 12, when, when, when the power came to me, I didn't know any theology. I knew nothing. And I had no one teaching me either, by the way. I'm, I'm just digging along by myself. My mother was too. She didn't know anything either. And so, but I knew this. There is a God. You couldn't. You could convince me the chair or that table wasn't there, but you couldn't convince me God wasn't there. I, I feel him. Don't tell me he's not here. And the, the other thing I knew is he, he likes me. He must. Why would he do that? Why would he come and, and wouldn't leave me alone? I mean, he stayed with me. He likes me. I don't know why he likes me. I had to be, it was years later when the church convinced me I was a wicked sinner and I hated my guts, but I didn't know that. I thought he liked me. <laughs> you know the kind of talk I'm talking about. It, it, 
this is really big. Parents, your children, grandparents, your grandchildren, when those children have the touch of the power of God in their life, when they begin to walk in the Spirit, life will tempt them. People will try to talk them out of it. But they go, something deep and intuitive goes on in that child that says, no, no. I, I, I hear your arguments. I, I get it. You, you say, you know, how could there be a God kind of stuff? But I've met him. I know him. Who is it who's with me then if all of this is not real? Do you follow this? This is really important. The second thing I want to say about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it, and my phrase is this, it turns the radio on. You say, I've never heard from God. I don't hear any of that stuff. Well, get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Receive this. Receive this thing that God, this, this person God has given you. Let him come. Let him, don't be afraid of this. Let him come in his power. What happens is you simply start hearing. You really can't, you don't, you don't, you know, it's, not, it's not something, you, you, it's like you can't turn it off. Right now, in this room, you, I trust you're not listening to radio broadcasts. If you are, come on, come on back. <laughs> but if we had a radio and put it right here, plugged it in, turned it on, you would find that the room is full of, of, of voices. There's all kinds of stuff in this room right now that you and I can't hear. When a person is baptized in the Holy Spirit, it turns the radio on. That capacity to hear, this sensitivity, this, this spiritual walk, which is not psychological, it is not, it's, not, it's not strange, it's not meant to be at all. It's normal. You're now awakened to your capacity in your spirit to move and listen to God, which is absolutely what Jesus is doing and what you and I have to do if we're going to walk like him. It turns the radio on. You will hear. You simply will. You can't stop him from talking to you. <laughs> you know, he'll say what he wants. He's there. This is real. This is real. So I just encourage you, don't be afraid of this, please. As these days go progress in our country, and as the world is going the way it's going, we so need this gift of hearing from God, his guidance, his protection. We need to be cautious. We need to do what we do because he leads us to do it or we'll very quickly be in serious trouble. Do you follow? All right. Communicating with God. How do you teach someone else how to hear from God? You can explain how you do it, but most of their learning will occur when they step out and discover the process for themselves. And that only happens when a person really wants to learn. They must have an inner motivation a hunger to be who God has called them to be, a compassion that is frustrated, even miserable, watching people live and die without Jesus, and a weariness with this world that's left them willing to risk everything to lay up treasure in the next. No one can choose such a life for someone else. It's too hard. It demands that we surrender everything and spend time listening for his will. Following Jesus still leads us into dangerous places because that's where people who need to be rescued live. But he warned us that would happen. He said if we wanted to be his disciples, this would become a way of life. He said, and would you read it with me? If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. 
For whoever wishes to save his life, lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. He's headed for Bethany. Let's go with him. I think it's just a wonderful opportunity to finish that sermon with communion. What was the invitation we just read? If anyone comes after me, let him pick up his cross. I remember being a brand new assistant pastor in a, in a church in San Diego. And within just a few weeks, they asked me to go out with the junior high retreat or the youth retreat. I think it was both junior high and senior high. And I was the speaker all of a sudden because the guy chickened out who was supposed to do it. I remember the first night we were there. It was Friday night. And it came over me so strongly. And I, was, I think I was reading a passage from Philippians. And I said to the young people, I said, Jesus has given his life for you. These are symbols of his broken body and his shed blood. He has come into a dangerous place. He's come and rescued us and offered us. Here's what he asks of us, that we would die for him, that we would give our lives without restraint to him. That's the deal, you know. He gives himself to us. We fully give ourselves to him. Not simply sort of passively believe in what he did, so we can receive the benefits of it. He calls us to follow him, not just believe in him. And I said to them, I don't know if I would say it now, I, I was amazingly bold or dumb. And I said to them, I said, if you're not ready to die for Jesus, I said, when you are, I said, let's pray right now. And when you're ready to say, Lord, I will die for you, I will follow you and give you everything. I said, then come and take communion. We just left it up front. It's there for you. And so when you're ready... When you've dealt with the Lord, come and take it. I think the last student took communion about 2 o'clock in the morning. The power fell. One of those nights I'll never forget. Watching them struggle. Watching them agonize. Will I do this? And then one by one, they get up and they come and take it. Crying. Years later, I, I was teaching a class of young people and there in that church, and I said, to, I said, have any of you felt the power of God? You, you can remember a time when the Lord came to you and touched you. A couple of hands went up, and I said, well, when was that? And one young fellow looked at me, he says, the night you said that, the night you made us be willing to die for Jesus. If you and I want him, then we give all of ourselves to him. That's the call today. Come to dangerous places. Give and abandon yourself. Follow me. What will I do with you? I will use you to win many. I will send you to my lost, broken ones. You will rescue people, many. All of us in our own places, but we will. We have a high destiny and a high calling. But without surrender, without being willing to walk into dangerous places and follow him even to death, it will not happen. 
Holy Spirit, we come and we take this offering of his broken body and shed blood. This day, we give ourselves fully to you, Lord Jesus. Spirit of God, help us do that. Help us give all and surrender all. In Jesus' powerful name we pray it. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.